let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Hey, Bridget here. Before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you to come to our live taping and anniversary party at Sunny's Pizza in Parkview on August 28th. Wine tasting starts at 5, and live taping starts at 6.30. Okay, now... Today on CityCast DC. Mount Zion is one of the oldest black cemeteries in DC, and a lot of formerly enslaved people are buried there. Plus, it was a stop on the Underground Railroad. Lisa Fager from the Black Georgetown Foundation is here to tell us about the site's unexpected and rich history, efforts to restore Mount Zion and its sister cemetery, and how Washingtonians can find their locally buried ancestors. Today is August 8th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. Let's talk about the oldest Black cemeteries in D.C. What can you tell me? Yes. Of the four historic Black cemeteries left in D.C. that look like cemeteries, I oversee two of them, and they are the two oldest. I mean, these are the only two cemeteries left in Washington, D.C. that we know people died, that were born and died into slavery. Wow. You know, we're only two miles from the White House. We have connections to every institution in Washington, D.C., and more. Many of these people were brought here by founding fathers and lived in Georgetown. We had Martha Washington's grandson slash nephew, black man, buried in the cemetery in 1842. You can look him up, William Custis Coaston, black man. And so, you know, it really does require you to get to know your history once you step into a historic you know, place. And the cemetery, a lot of times, is the only thing it connects us to the rest of Georgetown, knowing that Herring Hill and that area near the cemetery, which really is like 27th and Q Street, right beside the Dumbarton House Museum. You can get there, you know, three or four blocks from DuPont Circle Metro Station. So it's a nice walk. And if you're on the multi-use trail at Rock Creek, you probably pass it all the time and you don't even know because you know, a lot of the markers have sunk under the ground, particularly the ones that were on the side of the slope. So you don't really see that, but you'll see Oak Hill. So just know when you look to your uh, to your left, that's us. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Lisa, who created these cemeteries and when? The first one was established in 1808 when the Methodist Church was integrated here in Georgetown. And so it interred both black and white parishioners. And at that time, the church was 50% African-American, 50% white. However, it was also half enslaved and free people that attended the church. And they were segregated, of course, to the balcony. Pretty common history. However, these Methodists 
Black Methodists decided they couldn't take it anymore by 1814. And they were like, we got to get up out of here. So (laughs) they, by 1816, had established the first Black congregation here in Washington, D.C. And they were located very closely to the uh, actual cemetery. And history has it that they were among the few churches, Black churches that were part of the Underground Railroad. And we know for a fact the cemetery, the Mount Zion Cemetery, has a vault, a holding vault on site this very day that you can actually see. Uh, everything is original. And this is where people would hide on the Underground Railroad, you know, freedom seekers. And we have documentation from both churches. And so uh, the Georgetown Cemetery is part of that narrative. And then in 1842, the other half of the cemetery was established by free black women in 1842. Okay, they were a mutual aid society. And basically, that was a group of women who took care of each other. You paid in money every week. And then if something happened to you where you lost your job, you were unemployed, couldn't make rent, these women were there for you with the money. And here they had purchased a place where free black people could be buried and honor and dignity. And so these women, when no women, not just black women, white women could not purchase property in 1842. So, you know, they had a strategy as we, you know, always got straight. We don't hear no. We hear, oh, another way has to be had. They basically got a man to do it. And then they made him a trustee and he signed it over to them. and We made it happen. And so these two uh, cemeteries make up about three acres. And they border Oak Hill Cemetery, which was a white only cemetery that was established in 1849 after both of these cemeteries. And there's a drastic difference there. That cemetery was white only then. And it was given government appropriations and, you know, protected. And so we suffer from erosion. Meanwhile, they have no, no sites of erosion <laughs> in, in, in their path. And so right now we're trying to fix that. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. When you started this work in 2019, you couldn't even see many of the stones. And I understand that you've uncovered a ton of them, like 100 gravestones were unearthed in 2020 alone. How have you been doing that work? So that was really exciting because that was around COVID. And we had a man come in and do a workshop to show us how to restore the markers. And so we were putting them together, cleaning them, all of those things, learning that. He also told us or advised us because we have a lot of weeds and all kinds of stuff that grow in the cemetery. So he was like, you know, 
when you see the daffodils come up in the spring, I need you to take, it's like one of those utility poles. Take one of those and tap them beside the daffodils. See if you hit anything. And here we found a hundred markers and artifacts, you know, people who had not even been documented. And, you know, that's the other thing. We predate death records by 70 years. So it's like this constant, like uh, MacGyver kind of thing. Like, you know, we're finding casket makers and furniture makers and people would put together coffins who would say where they died. And, you know, and most people died in their homes. So then you knew where you lived. You know, it's all these little things that you would find to help build the story of those who are here. So the archival and sort of mystery solving work of that is really something to think about what it really means to predate death records. So I I know that, you know, the physical restoration of the stones is only one part of that. You're really trying to rebuild and tell the stories and the lost records of folks' lives. And I understand that in some places in the United States, you would not be able to resurrect those files. But in D.C., you actually kind of can. Why is that? So there are some things that are unique only to Washington, D.C., and that would be the D.C. Emancipation Compensation Records. And so slavery was abolished, you know, pre-Juneteenth, April 16th, 1862, was the abolition of slavery in Washington, D.C. that also went with the British model where they paid slave owners. So slave owners, in order to get compensated for their freeing of their free labor, they had to fill out an application, a petition. And in the petition, they had to note who the people were, how old they were, how tall they were, all these descriptions, and basically make their case about how much they should be paid for each person that they enslaved. And so we have these records Although painful sometimes to read, you know, when you read about Lucy Bowles and the side marks she had on each side of her mouth, understanding that probably at some point in her life she had a ball and chain in her mouth. They'll say mulatto, copper-toned, light, bright, uh, whatever, dark, African, you know, you can start putting together the picture of these folks. And so with that, information, you can start connecting people. Even understanding, like one of these slave owners talked about this one family whose like last name was King, say. But at the end, when they were freed, changed their last name to Rhodes. And he noted that. I mean, what great information to know if you're the one doing this research around your family. It's pretty incredible to find these linkages just because White folks had to write write about it in order to get paid, and they wanted to get paid. Where can folks see some of the fruits of this effort, or maybe even see if they've got family who are interred at Mount Zion Cemetery? So we just launched our first phase of our, what we're, lack of a better name, we're still thinking of a good name, but Cemetery Information System, where we put together, and like behind the scenes, there's so many fields that we're fill, filling out, but the front facing just has a couple right now. And you can search by name. You can search by enslaved. Right now, you know, we still have volunteers helping us put up all the information that we have. But we have quite a bit, about 4,000 people in the database. And so you can check for these names and start trying to, you know, connect the dots, particularly if you know 
if you've had any relatives, it's amazing. I mean, just the other day I found out one of the folks was from Havana, Cuba. Wow. Had been enslaved and brought over here from Cuba in 1820. Even some people that on their records, they were straight from Africa, from Senegal. These are some of the first folks who, you know, have these connections like to their homelands, you know. So it's it's just amazing how we have an opportunity to really dig deep. And I'm really glad that people want to know more, particularly, you know, D.C. is in Florida. And so, you know, we have a lot of I have a lot of college students and high school students that are coming to us. And really, I'm, I'm really excited about growing this database. And so you can find it at blackgeorgetown.info. Or you can just go to our regular website, blackgeorgetown.com. It'll get you get you there as well. If you would like to volunteer, please go to the website and there's a volunteer form. And we, you know, coming up, we like to do restoration demos. And we also like to also do events that honor the ancestors. That's beautiful. Lisa, thank you so much for the work. And thank you for being here and telling us about it. All right. Thank you, Bridget. Before you go, here's some quick news. 13 people in D.C. were killed in shootings in just the first five days of August. This includes six people killed on Saturday alone. D.C. has had at least 158 homicides this year, putting the city on track for its deadliest year in two decades. Also, President Joe Biden doesn't want federal employees to work from home anymore. He's calling for his cabinet to aggressively execute plans for federal employees to work more in their offices because they say it will allow them to deliver better results for the American people. And finally, House Republicans are trying to cut the federal funding for D.C.'s public school system and put more money into the city's private school voucher program. Instead of evenly splitting the funds between the public school system, charter campuses, and the private school voucher program, Republicans want to cut public schools' piece to one-sixth of the funding. That's all for today here on CityCast D.C. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey DC. I'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.